The chair depicts but refuses to dissect institutional racism in academic spaces by Sohel Sarkar. This article contains spoilers. In the penultimate episode of The Chair, one of the most watched shows on Netflix last month, Dr. Yaz McKay, a black English professor at the fictional Pembroke University, tells her colleague and departmental chair, Dr. Ji Yoon Kim, you act like you owed them something, like you're here because they let you be here, not because you deserve it. You should be running this place. Instead, you are running around playing nice. In a rare moment of clarity in the series, opposed to consider what it means to exist as a woman of color, especially one in a leadership position, in an overwhelmingly white university, that Ji Yoon has been set up for failure is clear from the start. Her appointment as the chair of Pembroke's dysfunctional English department is both historic and precarious. She is the department's first Asian-American chair. She's also been asked to take over at a time when the department is at its lowest point. Enrollment numbers are dwindling. The department is so strapped for funds that it tries to force the senior-most teaching staff to take up early retirement, a task that naturally falls to Ji Yoon. Dr. John Hambling, a white scholar with 30 years of academic experience, has her office moved to the basement gym. And Yaz, who has the highest enrollment numbers in the English department, finds her tenure application continually put off. This is the last glyph that Ji Yoon inherits. As if her position wasn't precarious enough, the series also has her involved in a romantic subplot with her white male colleague and the department star, Professor Bill Dobson and things start to unravel from there. When a Nazi salute lands Bill in the midst of campus-wide student protests, he righteously refuses to apologize. When he finally does, it is a clumsy attempt that immediately backfires. Throughout this debacle, it is up to Jean Yoon to make excuses for him and clean up his mess while also trying to keep the department afloat. I feel like someone handed me a ticking time bomb because they wanted to make sure a woman was holding it when it explodes, she says at one point. Sure enough, Bill's antics produce a domino effect that ends with the department's old white guard, the same colleagues whose jobs Ji Yoon has been trying to protect, voting her out as the chair. What Ji Yoon calls a ticking time bomb is what many academics of color, and particularly women, describe as the disproportionate burden placed on them due to institutional racism in the university. The academy is like an old garment, wrote Sarah Ahmed, a scholar of feminist theory and queer woman of color, in Feminist Killed Choice. It has acquired the shape of those who tend to wear it such as it becomes easier to wear if you have that shape. This garment was intended only for white men, with some wiggle room allowed for white women. In it, women of color are misfits, bodies out of place. When they are granted entry into the space of the university, the terms of coexistence are disproportionately stacked against them. 
No wonder then that Ji Yun gets the rub of problems that have been decades in the making, that she has merely inherited, and that her white colleagues keep making worse. Explains Beth and Guen in Time Magazine, who has been an English professor at the University of Wisconsin Madison for twenty years. Having briefly taken up a leadership role at a small university, Nguyen writes, "I too inherited a tangle of enrollment worries, generational conflicts among faculty, ominous edicts from the dean's office. I too endured microaggressions, like being mistaken for another Asian American woman, or being told that I needed to be civil when I objected to an event's lack of diversity, and like Ji Yun." I felt set up for failure. Yes, innovative teaching methods see students flocking to her class. Yet she is denied tenure and instead has to co-teach with a veteran white male colleague whose lectures run empty. This is true of a disproportionate number of Black women academics, says Rachida Lewis, an assistant professor in the School of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the University of Georgia. You can be an exceptional person and still be denied tenure. As of the fall of 2019, only two percent of the tenured faculty of U.S. universities and colleges were Black women, according to Chronicle. A recent real-life precedent reported in the New York Times is the University of North Carolina's decision to deny Pulitzer Prize-winning author and journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones a tenure position for several months. Because of her involvement in a project that examined the legacy of slavery in the U.S., Hannah Jones ended up accepting tenure at Howard, a historically black university. Against this backdrop, the chair's plotline of a Yale tenure offer for Yaz feels too simplistic and contrived. What the series captures more accurately, and perhaps also inadvertently. Is how the university defaults to being a white space. If you arrive into an organization that is not built for you, you experience this as a tightening. Ahmed writes, as the only women of color in the department, Ji Yun and Yaz experienced this tightening when they claimed space in a field that was never intended for them. While Yaz's tenure is never a priority for Pembroke, Ji Yun. Is deemed unfit to serve as the department's chair, but even as she is forced to step down, the series has her relinquish her post to Joan, who moments ago had been intent on voting Ji Yun out, before finally deciding not to. It's unclear if this was meant to be an act of sisterhood, but the white woman benefits in the end. Perhaps a more accurate description of this handover is what Ahmed calls. The institutional as usual. The university may not exactly be accommodating towards white women like Joan. She never went up for full professorship because her research got sidetracked by professional duties, and it is her office that is moved to the basement. But she certainly belongs more than some Asian lady teaching Emily Dickinson. So when the old white guard is out to get the woman of color chair. Joan becomes the figure the academy is willing to settle for. This is neither unforeseen nor a surprise. 
What is surprising, however, is that the series treats this as a benign outcome, rather than an ironic hat tip to how the university continually reconfigures itself as a white institution. John literally betrays Ji Yoon for white male patriarchy, then gets rewarded as the chair. It felt like I was supposed to perceive this as being justice. It's not, says Ari Rogers in Vice, a black woman and graduate student at the University of Southern California. Failing to capture this nuance, the series ends up merely depicting racism in the academy rather than dissecting it. The chair points to how the academy centers on white mediocrity and incentivizes white entitlement through the entanglements of racism and sexism, but does not interrogate this status quo. It follows the women of color faculty treading cautiously around their white colleagues without really questioning the power dynamics that make it imperative for them to do so. Instead, the show spends a disproportionate amount of time trying to deflect or explain away white privilege and male entitlement. When John contrives to undercut Ji Yoon, or when Elliot Rents comments on Ya's pattern dress, the series portrays them as a fit of bitterness and a funny quip, rather than the microaggressions that they really are. Yas tries to establish a connection with Elliot, who could make or break her tenure application, only to discover that his recommendation letter may work against her. Elliot effectively hijacks Yas' lecture in the name of co-teaching, even though his dwindling enrollment numbers prompted this move in the first place. Yet, the show allows him moments that humanize and explain his motivations. For their complicity in the vote of no confidence against Ji Yoon, John is let off the hook and Bill gets a sympathetic backstory. In fact, Ji Yoon's ouster is never explicitly named as an outcome of institutional racism. In one of the final scenes, Bill tells her, not being chair suits you, oblivious to his own role in making that happen, an assessment that she doesn't deny. Contrast this reaction with the searing account of Min Jin, penned by Dr. Chelsea Watego, a professor of indigenous health at the University of Queensland and Munanjali and South Sea Islander woman, who explains why she felt compelled to resign from a tenured position. It is an account that explicitly names racism, acknowledges the role of rage in bringing about transformation, and comes from a place of power. This is the very fight against race. It comes and is confronted when we name it, she writes. This is not to say that one response is more legitimate or desirable than another, but it is to ask what stereotypes we fall back on, whose fragile egos we tend to, and what power relations we refuse to name even as we set out to tell diverse stories. As many women of color in academia have pointed out, the chair is a pretty accurate and resonant, if not triggering and traumatizing, portrayal of how they themselves navigate the university. Yet, it remains more intent on checking the boxes that point to institutional racism in the university rather than engaging with it.